to the Real Weird Podcast, October 12th, Weird Wednesday, number one. So yeah, as any of you who read the episode description will know, this is the first of a new format that I may continue doing going forward after the uh, after October passes, called Weird Wednesday. Uh, this will basically just be, ideally... Uh, a sort of random grab bag of movies that I feel are worth talking about. I'm not going to go super in-depth with any of them. Uh, I may come back and do dedicated episodes on them later if I can find the stuff to justify making a full episode for them. But for now, this is just going to be a sort of random assortment of ones where it's like, hey, I think this movie's cool. I just couldn't really sort this with other stuff for make it its own full episode. So I'm just going to throw in a random grab bag of them. So I'm just going to go through, uh, just give a basic overview for each one of them. And then we'll continue. Uh, tomorrow we're going to be talking about John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy. Day after that, on the 14th, will be uh, five movies by Herschel Gordon Lewis, who's considered to be the godfather of gore, as he's sometimes called. And then after that, we'll be doing our episode, Nature is the Devil's Church, which is about uh, folk horror. So today, I'm just going to dive right in. First one is going to be the movie Society, by Brian, directed by Brian Usna. Uh, he was a longtime collaborator of Stuart Gordon. He was the producer for movies like um, Reanimator, From Beyond. He also directed uh, Bride of Reanimator. I'm not going to be talking about this one too much because I feel this is a movie that you should go into almost completely blind. It's very suspenseful up until the third act. It's really unsettling. The basic plot is that Bill Whitney, a teenager in Beverly Hills, begins to suspect that there's something wrong with his sister and parents, possibly involving some kind of like cult activity especially after he runs into his sister's ex-boyfriend and he gives him this sort of like bizarre cryptic audio tape. The movie is a very slow burn mystery up until the third act that gradually, it gradually escalates into, and I don't say this lightly because I've seen some weird shit, but it gradually escalates into one of the most bizarre third acts I've ever seen. It's a combination of mystery, horror, and social satire my only warning is go in blind and be very, very patient to let the mystery unfold. Next up, The Abominable Dr. Fibes. It's a campy classic of British horror. We have The Abominable Dr. Fibes starring the legendary Vincent Price in the title role. We initially follow a pair of inspectors from Scotland Yard as they investigate the murders perpetrated by the title character and his assistant Volnavia. The motive given is that Fibes, scarred from a car accident, blames the ten doctors uh, for the death of his late wife, Victoria, and he themes the murders around the ten plagues of Egypt. Fibes is the peak of Price's campy approach to horror. These beautiful art deco sets, beautiful and anachronistic musical score, uh, dramatic and overly theatrical dialogue, and also just the murder set pieces are overly complex and hilariously implausible in a lot of cases. 
it's not that they wouldn't work a lot of times. It's just that his plan for these murders seems to rely on a lot of assumptions. Let's just put it that way. And in a way, the comedy kind of adds the sort of creepiness as well. It's probably one of my favorites as far as horror comedy goes, and especially in terms of performances by Vincent Price. Next up, we have Dark August. I'm going to put a minor spoiler warning here, but this is essentially just the synopsis when you look up the movie online. It's explicitly stated. It's a supernatural horror movie from 1976. Dark August follows an artist from New York City struggling to assimilate to his relocation to Stowe, Vermont, and accidentally runs over a little girl and has a curse placed upon him by the girl's grieving grandfather. Uh, This, along with a few others on this particular list, are alums of the American Horror Project collection by Arrow Video. And it definitely has the look of a low-budget 70s movie. Like, the lighting is all slightly stylized when indoors, and it's fairly natural when outside. The audio is all slightly fuzzy. The soundtrack has a fairly simple score. Most of it's kind of eerie-sounding light orchestra, some synthesized laser. You get a lot of great shots of rural Vermont landscape, and it was actually filmed in the state. It has a lot of moments of what I like to call 70s violence. You don't actually see, like, the impact, but they're set up, and then the actual impact is never shown, but heavily implied through the edits. When we actually see the accident in flashback, we get this wide shot of the countryside. You just see this car coming up the road in the distance. We pan over and see a little girl skipping through a field, and then when she gets to the road, turns, sees the cars, and screams. Soundtrack drops out. We get a close-up of her face screaming. We don't hear the scream, but there's a cut to the car wheel skidding. Then a cut to our main character, Sal, his face in the car. Then we cut back to the girl. She's just lying on the ground with this shot through, like, the like ground level shot through the wheels of the car. And then there's just this ominous reverb echoing in the background. Again, this is a slow burn, mostly psychological horror they were going for, and it's A really curious little ride, especially given the paranoia hanging over Sal's head the whole time. Next up, another one of the American Horror Project alums is Malatesta's Carnival of Blood. After their son goes missing, a little traveling carnival, a local couple tries to infiltrate in order to locate him. They discover in the process that the eccentric and mysterious owner, Mr. Malatesta, is the head of a cult. In the words of one reviewer, it's the, quote, intersection of refined gothic horror, scummy drive-in exploitation, and Euro-trash fever dreams. The whole movie feels like a grungy home movie, save for the stylized lighting. And frankly, you know, I feel like this is almost what Manos the Hands of Fate could have been if it was done properly, or by a director who actually gave a shit about what he was doing, or had any fucking clue how to make a movie. There's a sort of dreamlike quality that makes it somewhat unsettling just on its own, even out, even without factoring in the freaky cult activity going on in the movie itself. Most of the movie lacks any real soundtrack, so it draws your attention to the dialogue, the creature noises, the sound effects, and the few musical cues that they have. 
And fittingly, it's this weird sort of like carnival sound mixed with psychedelic rock, which fits really well with both the location of the movie and the overall tone. Next up, we have Dream No Evil, originally titled The Faith Healer. And it's, to put it bluntly, it's basically just a slow descent into madness because we have this young woman named Grace. She's adopted at a young age by a traveling group of faith healers, which is also why the movie was originally titled The Faith Healer. And she tries to adapt as her adoptive brothers get pulled in opposite directions by life. One basically abandons the family business in favor of going into, you know, actual medical career. Another embraces this line of work, but he's kind of exploiting Grace as a sort of like showgirl to draw in crowds. The scenes of violence are not very convincing, and I think some might not like the ending, but I still enjoyed it overall. Uh, this is probably going to be the shortest entry on this list today, just because I don't have much to say about it without like actually spoiling it. So, moving on. Next up, we have The Child, made by a couple of guys that I just called The Roberts. Um, they're not related at all, I just call them that because they're basically just a couple of Armenian guys, both named Robert. But The Child, also given the somewhat confusing alternate title of Hide and Go Kill. It's a supernatural horror film from 77 that was on the Video Nasty Section 3 list in the UK for a while. Set in the 30s, and it follows a young woman named Elysian who comes to this creepy old decrepit house in the countryside to work as a nanny. She meets the uh, young child there, and a number of strange incidents follow that. It's fairly standard. Um, it's definitely one that relies far more on a creepy tone and atmosphere than anything else, although it has some really freaky music. It's not great, and it's kind of the cliché creepy kid movie in a lot of ways, but I definitely recommend it, if for no other reason than this. It showcases what can be done if you are an aspiring filmmaker, even if you've only got amateur actors and a minuscule budget. It's... Still got a good quality, and only one of the actors involved in this had any experience prior to this. So, you know, definitely don't get discouraged. Just make sure you have a good script, you have good people working with you. The rest will, at the very least, work itself out. Just as long as you put the effort in. Alright, there's your daily dose of feel-good for the day. Moving on. <laughs> Next up, we have another American Horror Project alum, The Premonition follows a young girl's foster mother, and she's plagued by horrifying visions. Meanwhile, the young girl's deranged biological mother and her kind of carny boyfriend played by Richard Lynch plot to kidnap the girl. As with some of the others on this list, it's definitely slow burn. It relies more on eerie atmosphere through subtle manipulation of light and sound, as well as moments of more blatant stylization or surreal moments like when we actually see the visions ourselves. I mean, a lot of the cast is very melodramatic in their acting, but it is in a way that feels intentional. Uh, if you watch it, do keep in mind it's definitely a horror that falls more under suspense-oriented, so don't go in expecting a gore-fest. No, the gore-fest is for the last two on the list today. First, we have one Piquet Simon's classic Pieces. 
So the backstory here is that we get a flashback to 1942 where a young boy in Boston is berated by his mother after she catches him, like, you know, reading some dirty magazines. And in one of the most inconceivably quick escalations I've seen in any movie, he just gets an axe and kills her with it, butchers the corpse, and then hides in the closet to fool the police into thinking he was just a witness. It works. Officially, the murder was never solved. And we cut to a college campus 40 years later, and the investigation follows after a girl is found decapitated. We follow as other victims are killed, and the killer begins to collect bits of them to create a human jigsaw puzzle, as the detectives involved put it. Pieces is definitely an acquired taste. It's bizarrely dubbed, it's unintentionally hilarious, there's over-the-top bloodshed. It's so fun anyways because of how transparently sleazy it is, how silly some of it gets given how a chainsaw is the main weapon of choice, and no one seems to hear it. (sighs) There's nudity galore, there's the reddest of red herrings, and the ending with a plot twist so stupid that I can't help but love it. It's a sleazy and dumb bastard child of Jalo, splatter film, and body horror. And as an unironic bonus, there is a rather impressive and visually striking scene where someone is stabbed to death on a waterbed. I don't think I've ever seen that in a lot of other movies, but the way the effects were done on it is just... Ah, chef's kiss. It's wonderful. And finally, we've got a classic. My Bloody Valentine. It's from that period immediately following Friday the 13th where there was just an absolute glut of slasher films. We follow T.J. Hanniger, a young man who returns to his hometown, a mining town called Valentine Bluffs. And 20 years prior, a group of mining supervisors snuck off to go to the town's Valentine's Day dance. In their haste, they failed to do a complete safety check. and There was a gas explosion resulted in trapping several of the miners down there. The only survivor, Harry Warden, had to resort to cannibalism to survive. In the next year, he got out of his asylum, and he killed the two that left their post and cut out their hearts. He warned the town to never again hold the Valentine's Day Festival, or he would continue killing, and then he just sort of disappeared. Now... As the dance is reinstated, the mayor and the chief of police receive an anonymous chocolate box that contains an actual human heart. Now now the whole town is on edge because they fear Warden has escaped his confinement at the asylum. While it may feel somewhat cliché today, it's still one of the better examples of the genre, I feel. Especially given the creepy atmosphere, the creative kills, the humor. And there's enough uh, character to get you involved in the story, as well as a great twist that I won't spoil. And, surprise, surprise, a love triangle that is not completely obnoxious. I'd recommend the Scream Factory Blu-ray for this. I consider it to be the best possible transfer as far as I've seen. And it's got the greatest amount of the almost nine minutes of footage cut out from theatrical release. Uh, Bear in mind, some of it's not very polished. So you can tell when it was cut scenery because the screen just kind of tints red for a little bit. Anyway, that's it for this installment of Weird Wednesday. I'll be doing this again next week, but like I said, tomorrow is going to be a deep dive on Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy. 
The Thing, Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. Day after that, I'll be talking about five movies from Herschel Gordon Lewis, a pioneer of the splatter film, a personal inspiration of John Waters, and a man who, along with Lucio Fulci, sometimes called the Godfather of War. Thanks for joining me. Signing off. Have a good night.